Our passage this morning is Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. Uh, As I said, we are continuing our sermon series in Ephesians, which we are calling Rooted. This comes from uh, Paul's writing in chapter 3, verse 17, when he says, uh, I pray that you are all rooted and grounded in Christ's love. It's a statement of maturity. It's a statement of growing up. And one of the interesting things um, about Ephesians is that there's no, like, real polemic. There's no real serious issue. It doesn't mean that the church was perfect because uh, John later, St. John in Revelations, he writes to seven churches and one of the things, that, one of the churches he writes to is Ephesians and he says, you guys have done really good. Um, you've been very passionate about Christ, but you've been loveless as well. So there are issues in the church of Ephesians as well. Paul sends Timothy there later um, after he writes this letter to help sort out some of those issues. So it's not a, not a, a problematic or it's not a perfect church um, by any stretch of the means, either of those things actually, but it's a church that continues to need to know um, who they are in Christ and continue to grow into their maturity. Eugene Peterson's book um, on Ephesians, uh, he entitles The Practice Resurrection. And so it's a way for us to see behind the scenes of who Christ is, or excuse me, who the church is, and how we can have this resurrection life now. So we get to practice this resurrection life here in this place, here and now. One of the ways that we do that, one of the ways that we get God's word into us, one of the ways that we are rooted in God, in Christ's love, is to simply read his word. Uh, Ephesians is six chapters. You can read a chapter a day every week. You get a day off. It's really a glorious thing to be able to do that. Um, And it's really a pretty, um, it's a quick read. It's an easy read. And it's really a joyful read as well. This is, again, one of the ways that we are rooted in Christ's love. And so I'd, I'd encourage you to be able to do that. 
Last week, one of the things that I wanted to do um, as we started was give an introduction to the book of Ephesians. But my my purpose and, and kind of the unstated reason for uh, the sermon was that I want us to see that God is actively involved in our lives. I think it's incredibly easy to live our lives apart from God. There's so many things that we have to deal with, little things, big things, being a father, being a mother, um, having a job, just doing the things of life that we can forget that God is with us. And we all do this in one degree or another, um, and sometimes it's for a stretch of time or, or not. And so um, it is, though, uh, though God sustains our entire life and what we do. And one of the things that um, I want us to see. And so we, we're going to continue that theme this week as well. As I was reading and studying this week, I kind of began to see this passage that we're looking at today as Paul's creation narrative. Now, we have the narrative of creation in Genesis 1, and God creates the world in six days. He rests on the seventh, and but he doesn't walk away after that, as we often can think that, but he doesn't walk away. He's still present and active, and Paul shows us in this passage that he's still present and active, creating the church. God has his hands in the hummus of life. Hummus is where we get the word human. It's the dirt. It's the ground. It's the soil of our lives. God has dirt under his fingernails as he continues to work the soil for us. We might not like that. That might make us a little uncomfortable, right? We want to live our lives ourselves. Anytime somebody tells me you need to do this or you should do that, I automatically move and turn and go the opposite way. Well, you think I should, but that's not how I operate. Sometimes I do that with God as well. Sometimes we don't like God to be a part of our lives. Sometimes, though, we just can't see what he's doing in our lives as well. The manure of this world can be so great sometimes, it's hard to experience this God with his hands in the dirt. And so it's hard to get our li- our eyes up out of our own uh, manure, if you will, um, to be able to see what he is doing. But here's my question to you, and this is interactive. We're not a large group at this point. We can talk to one another here this morning. But how was your week? What did your week look like? What what was a highlight of your week this week? Having Gail come home. home. That's a good answer, John. That's the right answer, too. Yeah, and that was a highlight for you, too, Gail. That's awesome. Yeah. You guys? The wedding. Andrew's wedding. That's great. That's great. Was there a lo- what? Well, I was just thinking, you know, you were talking about in the, in the midst of things, John has been thinking all week. And so he has been in the dirt, not necessarily the manure, but that nasty, clay, awful, hard <laughs> soil that we have to live as family believers to pay our price that he's been reaping conversations with you guys. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Now you know. Oh, not a good place for a leak. Not at all. 
Would that be a low light of the week? Well, a highlight to find it, but. It really was. It was a highlight to finally find it after digging um, six holes. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Any low lights of the week? Groomzilla. Yeah, yeah, this is being recorded, so that'll be great. <laughs> that can happen. He admitted to it. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Okay, okay, good, good, good. <laughs> well, I want to tell you about my week. <laughs> so I want, I want to hear about yours, so now you can hear about mine. Um, highlight of the week. The last weekend, I had the kids all to myself. Um, it was great. They, I had all their attention. They had all mine, or most of it at least. Um, it was great to be to have that interaction with them. Um, Stacy was gone. Uh, she got back um, late Monday, like actually very like two o'clock, two a.m. Tuesday morning, really very very late. And then I had a friend sh- show up, and we spent about twenty four hours together, and that was a really really great time. Also, though, um, there are some low lights. Uh, after that, uh, the kids shifted all their attention to Stacy. I felt that loss of attention very uh, firmly as I had to go back and do work things and be, you know, do the do the job of this. Um, Thursday, I got a call at the end of the day at five from Stacy, and she got rear-ended again uh, in Target, and then the woman left, so hit and run. So I went up to Target and waited for the police to come as Stacy continued on with her day. Uh, four hours, the police never showed up. Incredibly frustrating. Um, spent about five minutes at the police station the next day. Things would get worked out very easily, but um, that, was a, that was a bummer. Um, I had a good day rafting Friday, and then we went to the barbecue fest, and that was great. And then my car, uh, not the van that was hit, but my car uh, wouldn't shift out of park to get home. And so we waited three hours for the tow truck to come to get us home. Cost us a bit of money. Insurance is going to cover the tow truck, but then we had to pay the babysitter twice as much as what we had originally planned. Uh, my back went out this morning. Um, kids are hitting each other as I'm about to walk out the door uh, yesterday morning. It's just one of those, like, it just feels like it keeps piling on so much. And when I get into, when it just happens over and over and over again, I begin to ask questions like, where is God? Like, what are you doing? Why does this continue to happen? Why is, why is my week so manure-y? If it wasn't a sermon, I'd use a different word. But why is there so much manure in life? And I, it's hard to read this passage and to experience the life that I've experienced this week and go, yes, all of this is true and all of this is true, and to bring those together is an incredibly challenging thing to do. I don't know if you've experienced that in your life, but it seems like it happens to me on a regular basis. The point of this particular passage is that God is a master gardener. God is the master gardener. He knows how much manure we can handle in our life, and he knows how to turn that manure into compost so that it feeds the soil in which we are planted 
as well, where we are rooted. Compost is essential for good soil health. It brings nitrogen and the right amount of, of all the different additives that, that plants need to be able to flourish and to grow. And manure is one of those ways in which we get compost. It breaks down and then it begins to, as it spreads out, uh, begins to feed the soil so that the plants can be fed in that as well. God, as a master gardener, knows just how much manure um, we need to be able to function when we experience lives like this, how we can flourish in the soil that he has planted. And it reminds us that the master gardener is at work. He is tending his plants. He is walking amongst his garden and caring for his prized possession in creation. This passage tells us about God's care, especially in verses 3 through 10. It's kind of, how is God at work? Well, he says, Paul writes, that it's according to his purpose. Throughout this entire passage, Paul uses this phrase over and over and over again, that God has a purpose. This, actually, the entire passage, verses 3 through 14, is one ginormous sentence in Greek. Paul would have failed high school English class, right? Like he never would have been able to get away with this. But he just puts verb and phrase upon one another over and over and over to tell us what God is doing and how he cares for his creation. Paul uses seven verbs, and all of those verbs, God is the actor of the verb. He has seven verbs listed, blessed, chose, choose, predestined, bestowed or blessed in our in our translation, lavished, made known, unites. So let's look at these seven verbs real quick. First one is in verse three, when at the very beginning, when God, when Paul says that um, God who is blessed blesses us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. To be blessed, we use this word so much in our life, like it's all in the word art and everything. We reject that Hobby Lobby experience of who God is, um, that hashtag experience. But this is what it means to be blessed, to live in God, to experience God and who God is, is to be blessed. The Greek word is makarios, to be blessed, the same word that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount. This is how we experience God being blessed in him. Second verb is choose, verse 4, that God, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. This is God putting us in on the action. So this is God including us in the work that he is doing. This is not a hobby for God. I love gardening. I love being out in the garden, being able to walk through it, to be able to harvest plants, to plan out what I'm going to grow and to see those things grow. Um, but if I stopped doing that, that my life wouldn't end. Like I just would cease being a gardener. I'd have work to do. I'd still be a dad. I'd have Stacy as a. Um, I'd still be a husband. Um, that would all. None of that would would end. But for God, gardening is not a hobby. This is him doing the work of his creation. This is him being active in our lives. You are not a hobby to God. You are his first love. He loves you beyond how we spend our time gardening as a hobby. 
the third, ver- the third verb he uses is predestined in verse 5. He says he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. That phrase again, according to his purpose. Now, this, is, this means that he didn't do it randomly that he has intention and care, and just as a gardener plans out his garden, looks at where he's going to put his plants, knows his boundaries of where he's going to put them as well, this is not random. It's in, it has intention. It has care to it. Boundary is actually the word that's kind of used here, um, the original language that, that Paul uses. Um, and this is like we have garden beds set up, right? And so it's not that we just plant things here and there, God says, I'm going to plant you here in this space. And he uses the word adoption, a part of my family. He uses the word sons, and that can be sons and daughters. But particularly, it can have significance in meaning that we are sons, that we are not left out of any of the inheritance, that we were given the fullness of who we are in God and how the, the ancient Middle East uh, would, have, would have used the word sons. We have full inclusion into that. We are not left out. And we are God's sons and daughters. We are brought into the family through adoption. This is not an abstract thing, nor is it a calculating thing in the predestined sense of the word. It's not this, um, you know, God counting the numbers and making sure he has all the things in this eternal kind of way. It is God adoring and loving us and going, I have chosen you intentionally with care. I have brought you and put you into my garden, into my family. The fourth verb that we have is found in verse 6. It's a really hard verb to translate. Uh, the passage reads, To the praise of, of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us, in the beloved. Uh, Eugene Peterson translates the word uh, bestowed in his commentary. Um, blessed is actually the same word that we have earlier in that passage to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has graced us in the beloved. Paul actually, again, violating all sorts of English and grammatical rules, Paul takes a noun and turns it into a verb. We do this quite often. We text people. Text is actually a noun. I hate using it as a verb. Um, We send texts, but we just, we've shortened that, right? And here Paul is laying out how much God is doing in our lives, and not just blessing us, but gracing us with his grace. This is sheer extravagance. And we are not used to this kind of abundance in our lives. But here Paul is telling us that he is blessing us beyond. He is gracing us with grace. It's an amazing, amazing passage. Uh, Amazing word that he uses here. And he does so lavishly in verse 8. He says, this is our fifth verb, God lavishes on us with which, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. This is uh, uh, absolutely hyperbolic. If he graces us with grace and then he lavishes it 
on us. It's a flood. It's a soaking. It's a drenching. This is the complete opposite of stingy and frugal. Like when I plant my garden, I go, how much compost do I need to be able to cover everything by an inch? And I don't buy extra. I have exactly what I need. God says, I'm not worried about that. I have more than enough to give you. I will flood you. I will overwhelm you with my love. This is hyperbolic. There are people in our family who will not be named who speak hyperbolically all the time. Either things are the absolute worst thing they have ever experienced and the world is going to end or it's the most amazing thing that has ever occurred that they've ever eaten or drank or experienced in their lives. There is no in-between here for God. There is no in-between and it is not the worst. It is the most. This is this word lavished is one of Paul's favorite words and God lavishes us with his grace. Verse 9, Paul writes uh, the third or the uh, sixth verb, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. That phrase again, which he set forth in Christ. Made known, it, this mystery is again bringing us into the story. It's letting us know what God is doing, that he has a great plan for his garden, for his people. And that we are in on it. He gives us wisdom and insight to be able to participate in this. This is not mere knowledge, right? We don't just have uh, knowledge and facts and stats memorized of God. It is a relationship that we have with him as well. We don't just look up his Facebook profile and we know all the things about him, but we can have and do have a life, a, a personal life with God. He brings us in on what he is doing. The seventh and the last verb that he uses is unites. Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, unites, gathers up, harvests. This is the end of the purpose of God's garden. All of this happens through Christ. Uh, Paul uses either the, the actual pronoun or um, the, the noun Christ. Uh, he refers to him 11 times throughout this entire passage. It is not an abstraction here. But this is the person of Christ coming into the world, the Son of God, being with us and having a relationship with him. And this word unites is actually the word head. Again, Paul's taking a noun and making it into a verb, and he's saying that we are united into, we are headed into Christ's body. We are given organic unity in Christ, and none of us can be cut off. We are all a part of Christ's body being a part of the church. The reason God does all of this, to have this care, to put all seven of these verbs together, is for our flourishing. What is our role in all of this? It is to be to the praise of his glorious 
grace. We are the, actually the objects of all of these verbs, all seven of them. We are never the subject in any of these, in this one long sentence of any of this action that Paul has set forth. We are the objects of all of these verbs. Our role is to be to the praise of his glorious grace. This is believing in what God is doing, and this is receiving what God is doing. See, we're not spectators. We're, we are in on the action. We are the plants that God is growing. We are his garden. We have a place in the garden. Again, we are not a wild weed growing out amongst the thorns and the thistles, though it sometimes feels that way. God has transplanted us and put us in his garden so that he can care for us. Throughout this passage, Paul uses the word us and the word y'all. I know it doesn't come across in the English um, because you can be plural as well as singular, but um, it's almost a, a new contraction. And I don't know that if the South has this, but like a, uh, an all yes, uh, an all y'all and us, is it? But it's, it's all of us together. See, Paul puts himself in this passage so that he know, they, the Ephesians know that he is included in it. It's really easy for me to sometimes remove myself from the work that God is doing. And I'm going, where are you? What are you doing? But God includes all of us, even pastors, praise God, because I need to see what he's doing in this world as much as you. One of the things in um, gardening that we do is companion plants. Paul says that we are brought up into the head, that none of us can be cut off. He uses that body metaphor elsewhere, that we're all a part of the body of Christ as the church, and God has need for all of us. Plants have different reasons that they are grown, but then they are grown together in different ways because like tomatoes and basil, they taste really good together, but they also grow really good together as well. They feed off of one another. It's good to plant these things next to one another. Um, Corn in particular, corn will suck all the nitrogen out of the soil and leave it absolutely desolate. You you can hardly ever plant corn twice uh, in the same place unless you get something else and you amend the soil. And one of the ways we can do that is with peas. So you can grow peas and corn together because the peas will not only climb the corn, but they will put nitrogen back into the soil so that the corn, that that which the corn depletes, they're companion plants. We are companion plants. This is not a passage for you. This is a passage for us as the church. This puts us at home in the cosmos. We know the mystery of Christ. He has revealed it to us. We are in. We are no longer lost, and we do this to the praise of his glorious grace. Paul uses this phrase three times. We, as the plants, as the garden that God is caring for, are to be a celebration of the palpable presence of God at work in the world. Let's say that again. We are to be a celebration of the palpable presence of God at work in the world. We are his prized possession. This is not a hobby for God. He loves us. He loves to work in our lives even when we can't feel it. He is there. He is present in our lives. We are his prized possession. And in doing that, we display his love and his grace and his mercy. We are on display for him just as garden, as plants are for him. Those, uh, um, what, were the, what are these? 
Peonies, there we go. I had five other words in my head. Peonies, they just, they sit there, they stand tall, and then they fall over if they're not supported, but they stand tall, and they're just beautiful. They just show this beauty of what God has done. We are the peonies of God's world. Guarding for God is not just a hobby. It's his life. We worship a resurrected gardener. God sent his son Jesus, so that we would know of how much he loves us, how much he cares for us. Paul, again, Paul tells us all of this happens in and through Christ. He took on the fullness of the manure of this world. He died in a garden and he was resurrected in a garden so that we might know what kind of life God is cultivating in us. This is no DIY project. We're in it together, and this is a God project. He is the master gardener at work to make us the prized possession in his creation garden. Let's pray. Father, it can be so hard to see uh, you at work sometimes. Um, We are so distracted um, by our hobbies and by the manure of life that um, we forget that we don't have eyes to see. It's why, why you pray that for us so many times throughout Scripture, Lord. Open our lives. Lift our our sights above the manure of life, Lord, out of our hobbies, out of our distractions, and show up, Lord. Help us to see all of these things that you are doing in our lives, how you are so active and present, Lord. May we be able to display that in our lives. We are not a hobby to you. We are your life. You give us life. You gave us your life in Jesus, and you sustain our life through the Holy Spirit, Lord, who is the guarantee of this salvation, this practice of resurrection life here and now. Lord, help us to remember that. Empower us. Give us your grace. Help us to give that to one another as well. Be with us in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.